my kids love it when I share stories about my childhood. I'm sure your kids are not that different. I mean, they'll ask the questions like, so what was it like back then in, in the old days? I don't know, I'm 37, and it's so funny. They're like, yeah, back in the old days when, when you were little and there were no iPads, and there, were, there was no internet, and there were no cell phones. What was that like? I said, it was terrible. It was like dark ages. We had to play outside. And, and, there, and we played board games. It was, it was just this terrible childhood with, without screens. But they love whenever I share about my adventures in childhood. And I could share, but you don't, you don't maybe you do, but I don't want to share all of them this morning about times when I was foolish or I got in trouble. Like the biggest thing for me, I think, was talking too much in class. If you can imagine that I would have that struggle. Or even the life-changing experiences that I had, like meeting their mother or graduating from seminary or even more when they were born, sharing these experiences, it's very, it's profound because what happens is whenever I share of my life with my children, it, it connects us. It draws my heart and their hearts closer together because now they know me better. They know their father better because I'm sharing things that otherwise they would have no way of ever knowing. So whenever I reveal of myself, it lets them know me. You see, this is the way it works in the ultimate sense with our God. And this morning, we're going to meditate on the truth that we have a God who speaks. We have a God who has revealed of himself to us. And so now because we have a God who has spoken and has self-disclosed, he has shown us who he is, through his revelation, now we can know him. And this is all the glory goes to God. And so today as we continue in our series, Who is Jesus? We're considering how you and I were made by God and we were made for God, and how Jesus must be your everything. Jesus must be the reason why you go to bed at night and you look forward to getting up the next morning to spend more time with him yet one more day. Jesus is the only one that can heal your soul and deliver you from the grasp of the bondage of sin. So God is revealing himself. He is speaking to us and showing us his glory so that for the purpose of us knowing him. So we can experience him in all of his glory. So my prayer has been and continues for this faith family that we will be a people that just yearn to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And our prayer is regularly that the heavens would open to us and that we would see Jesus with the eyes of faith. So as we continue asking the question, 
who is Jesus? Let us see him in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So please turn there, Deuteronomy 18, as we seek to see more of our Savior. Deuteronomy 18, we'll be reading verses 15 through 22, that last paragraph in chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So this was written by the prophet Moses, inspired by the Spirit of God, about 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. And so this right here is a key promise made here in the Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is a prophecy that one day the Messiah would come. So verse 18 is very clear. I will raise up for them a prophet, singular, one, a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So this verse here is defining the role of the Old Testament prophet. The role was they spoke the words of God. Now, yes, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that the prophets sometimes did miraculous things like rain fire from heaven and resurrect the dead and heal the sick. And so prophets oftentimes had divine powers that God gave to them, and they made prophecies about what would happen in the future. So prophets did many different things, but fundamentally, at their core, the role of the Old Testament prophet was to speak God's word to his people. As you saw in verse 19, it says, words of the prophet were God's words that he speaks in the name of God. So the words of God spoken through the mouthpiece, through the means of the prophet. So unlike the pagan nation surrounding Israel, the one true God that Israel followed was a God who spoke. He's a speaking God. In verses 20 through 22 that we just read, describe the test for a prophet to see if it was truly God speaking through the prophet or if he was a false prophet. And the only test was, does that word come true? If it does, then he's a prophet speaking for God. If not, then he's a false prophet. 
So you see here that Moses was a true prophet. He was a prophet who spoke for God. Now, many prophets would follow after Moses. Moses wrote the first five books called the Pentateuch or the Torah. So he wrote the first five books of the Bible, but there were many other prophets that would come. Some who did not write, like Isaiah. I'm sorry, that's not true. Elisha or Elijah did not write. Others that did, like Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, these are the major prophets that, that wrote down God's words. And there were many other what we call minor prophets, the last 12 of the Old Testament. They actually weren't minor. They're, they're speaking God's words. We just use those classifications. But, so you have all of these different writing prophets and others that didn't write, but all of them collectively were speaking the words of God. For the next thousand years, you would have many prophets who would come. But what you see here in Deuteronomy 18 is something unique. God is revealing that one day the promised Messiah would come. The final prophet, the prophet of all prophets would come. The true prophet of God, he would come. And that's the main idea. This is the primary truth here on the screen. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the promised true prophet of God. The prophet that is promised here in Deuteronomy 18, that one day the Messiah would come. Jesus is the true prophet. You see, Jesus is not a prophet. He's not. He is the prophet. The final culmination. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything that's revealed, the prophets wrote, all of it points to and fulfilled in the person and life of Jesus Christ. How do I know this? How do I know that it all points to Jesus? I'll show you. Think back to after Jesus died and was resurrected. Luke 24 records a fascinating story of he's walking on this road to a small village called Emmaus. And as Jesus, now the resurrected Jesus, is walking, he finds these two other men. And they're in conversation. And they're talking about all that's happened. They're talking about how this, this man named Jesus came from God, supposedly. And how he was crucified. And then supposedly resurrected. And so they don't know. They don't believe in Jesus. But they are definitely intrigued by what's going on. And the whole city is in uproar in conversation about what just happened. And then Jesus overhears them, comes near, and they say, how do you not know about all of this? And they're shocked because they're like, are you the only person in all of Israel who's not heard of what's happened the last few days? Really? They, they didn't know who they were talking to. They had no idea that they were talking to the resurrected Messiah. That it was not supposed. He did come from God. He was crucified and he indeed was resurrected. But their eyes were blind. They didn't know. And so let's pick up the story there in Luke 24. Read to you verses 25 through 27, just there in the middle of this powerful story. And Jesus talks to them and he says, And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There's a key. All that the prophets have spoken, all the Old Testament. 
He says, was it not necessary that the Christ, by the way, Christ is Messiah, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27 is so powerful. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's saying, beginning with Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the other prophets throughout the whole Old Testament. Remember, there was no New Testament yet. It wasn't written down yet. He had just resurrected. So he opens up the Old Testament, the Bible that they had up to that point in history. And he's pointing to them, and he says, he interprets the entire Old Testament. He says, all the scriptures, the things concerning him Self. So a believer in Jesus should never interpret the Old Testament the way a secular Jewish rabbi would. That is incorrect interpretation. According to Jesus, we must interpret the entire Old Testament in light of himself, the Messiah who has come. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus, is fulfilled in Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about his glory in redemption. And so what you're seeing is this is described very clearly throughout the rest of the New Testament. We don't have time to go through all of it. We'll look at one paragraph, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, describe very clearly how the entire Old Testament points to and is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There it is again. God speaks through the prophets. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than it is so good for our souls to meditate on verses like these that has such remarkable Christology. Christology is the study of Jesus. Now, let's just be clear. We don't study the Bible. We don't study Jesus and theology. We don't do that in order to get intellectual head knowledge. And it's not about having our pride puffed up because I know bigger words than you about theology. That is not the point at all. The point of studying the word and, and studying who Jesus is, meditating on it. Why? So that we can know Jesus. Not get more knowledge about him, but to know him. To see him, to see him more clearly, to be more in awe of Jesus, to love him more deeply, to be submitted to him more fully, and to reflect him with our daily lives. 
verse 1 is so powerful. It says that God has been speaking. He's a God who reveals and speaks. It says, by the prophets. We've been looking at that so far here this morning. Verse 2 is profound. It says, but in these last days, now that Christ has come, it says he has spoken to us by his Son. And so all of the prophets, all that they were revealing, points to, is fulfilled in, culminates, and so it's the apex, the highest point of God's revelation is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the direct New Testament fulfillment of every Old Testament promise, including Deuteronomy 18, that the Messiah, the true prophet of God, would one day come. Jesus is the true prophet who reveals God. And so let's look at this. So what are some three primary truths that we, can, that we can get our minds around and apply in our lives? And so three truths that Jesus is the true prophet. This is the significant point. One is that Jesus reveals God. And so as a true prophet, one, he is revealing God. So the person and the work of Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God. And so hear me, Jesus perfectly shows us all that is knowable about God the Father. If it can be known from a human finite mind, Jesus is revealing who God is. And the key is a relationship between the Son and the Father. This Father-Son relationship is the key to understanding how Jesus reveals God. Whenever I counsel couples that are getting married, I, I always ask them a question. Now, to be fully honest and give credit where it's due, this is not my question. I learned from my wife. And so Bonnie taught me this question, but I just employ it and I use it whenever I am meeting with couples that are talking about getting married. I always ask the bride. So I don't ask the guy this question. I ask the soon-to-be hopeful bride. I ask her, if you marry your boyfriend, so this guy sitting here next to you, if you marry him and you have a child and that, and, and that child is a boy, and that little boy grows up to be just like his father, will you be happy about that or disappointed? Because here's some news if you're not married yet, just in case you weren't aware. Little boys turn out like their dads. They do. For better or worse and all in between, sons grow up to be like their fathers. So if you, go, if you want to marry a guy and if your thought is, oh, no, we don't need two of him then maybe you shouldn't marry him because that's the likely result. Now, if that's true of us as finite human beings, this is just a pale reflection of the ultimate truth, which is why parenting is so important because we reflect the Father, God the Father, to our children. And so we want little boys who go to be like their dad Godly men who respect their wives and who love Jesus and are on mission for the Savior. Men who have self-control. Men 
who sacrifice of themselves for their family, godly, responsible men who reflect the character of God. We want that to be mimicked. We want little boys to grow up to be godly men. This is God's design. And it's his design because it reflects the ultimate truth of how the Son, Jesus, is just like the Father. Perfectly. Not like us, because us, we, we mess it up because we're human and we're fallen. But Jesus perfectly and fully is just like the Father. They share the same nature. And so what you're seeing is in the ancient world, a son's role in the family was that he would one day inherit the father's estate. And so, so to be the son means that you were like the father and you would then have ruling authority as the heir to the throne if you're the king or heir to the estate if you were just you know, a person that wasn't in royalty, but still the son would inherit. Which is why verse 2 describes Jesus as the heir of all things. He's the son. He has ruling authority over the father's estate. And what is father's estate? The cosmos, the universe. That's the father's estate. He made it all. And so Jesus has ruling authority as the son. He says, heir of all things through whom he, God the father, created the world. And so Jesus has ruling authority because he shares the same nature as the father. He is God. And it says that the father created through Jesus. Now, you're thinking, but I thought the father created by speaking. He did. God created the world through the power of his word which is why John chapter 1 calls Jesus the Word of God. And so Jesus was there at creation. He was partaking in creation with the Father. And so everything that God is doing in creation and everything that God is doing in redemption is through his Word, through Jesus. So God creates and then God redeems through Jesus. Jesus is the agent by which the Father accomplishes all of creation and redemption. And so maybe thinking, man, that's just a little too deep. I don't fully understand that. Well, none of us fully understand that. But we accept it and believe it and cherish it by faith. Finite minds can't comprehend the infinite. And yet, we cherish this profound truth that God is creating and restoring people through the Son. And it's all about God displaying his infinite perfections through Jesus. And so the goal of the Father is to glorify the Son. This is what he wants to do. And so you were made by Jesus and you were made for the glory of King Jesus. So you see in verses 2 and 3, we just read it. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So he created the world through Jesus. 
and Jesus, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on all about the word. He created the world through Jesus, and he pulls the world through his power. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Just like the sun radiates heat and light, God just radiates glory. And Jesus is the exact imprint. He has the exact nature, like a mold that it's identical That's the language for humans to begin to get our minds around this, that yes, they're separate. God the Father, God the Son are separate members of of the Trinity, and yet they have the exact same nature. And Jesus radiates glory. He's magnificent. And this was written so that we could just be in awe of who Jesus is. Maybe you're wondering, well, what is God like? Maybe you're seeking or you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, but you're here this morning. And you would ask, well, what is God like? Look to Jesus. Look no further. Look to Jesus and you see God. You see exactly what he is like. Jesus has revealed God. So now we can know him personally. Now, there is much to be said about this very large topic, but let me give you three characteristics that Jesus has revealed about God. So the fact that God speaks, so based upon this truth that he is a God who reveals and a God who speaks, this is what Jesus is revealing. One, he reveals that God is personal. So the very fact that God speaks proves that he is personal. He speaks so that we can know him. He speaks, and he is revealed that he has personality, and he has a character. And God has a sense of humor even. I mean, sometimes I see couples that are married, I'm like, oh, man, God has a sense of humor with those two getting married. God does. He just, he's a person with the sense of humor and with personality. And he wants us to know him. So that's why he speaks, why he reveals himself. We can draw near to him. And so he's the all-powerful person with the mind and with the will. And he is creative. And so he wants us to know him. So he has self-disclosed so that we can draw near. So the fact that he speaks just reveals that God is personal, but also that God is good. The fact that he speaks... Jesus is revealing the will of God is he's a good God. That's why he has spoken to us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to reveal himself. He wanted to because he loves you. And he wants you to be his friend. He wants you to be close to him. It's all about relationship. The Bible's message consistently reveals that God is merciful and loving and gracious and good. And even his judgment is good. He's upholding his holy character. Which is why, because he is good and he is holy, he made a way for us to be forgiven. He sent the Son who endured our 
sin on the cross. And so the fact that God speaks proves that he is personal and he is good. Also proves it shows that God is purposeful. The fact that he is speaking, God does not speak randomly. God is revealing what he reveals on purpose. Everything that God does is for one purpose, to display his glory. And so God has spoken to us in his word and primarily through Jesus so that we can fulfill our eternal purpose as his image bearers. And as image bearers, we were made to reflect the glory of God. So how do you do that? How do you live a life that reflects his glory? You worship him. Your soul can be satisfied in Jesus. And when it is, you will reflect his glory with all of your thoughts, words, and actions. And so he's revealing for a purpose because he is personal and he is good and he wants you to know him so you can reflect his character. So what is the implication of, okay, so these are the truths of what Jesus has revealed. He speaks these things to us. And so what is the implication in light of this truth? How then must I live? I'll just give you one here. Next screen. The implication is that we can have true enjoyment. Because God has spoken, revealed who he is, now we can have true enjoyment. Now, what, what is enjoyment, really, if you think about it for a moment? Enjoyment is a byproduct. It's a result. A result of what? A result of you focusing on something beyond yourself. So, for example, if you were sitting in a small room with four walls, nothing on the floor, no chair, no iPad, no internet, no phone, nothing, Nothing and no one, just you sitting on the floor in a room by yourself. How much enjoyment would you have? Now, I asked this question this morning whenever I was doing a shortened version of this with our, our children's teachers that can't be in service. So every Friday I meet with them and we go over it and I pray with our children's teachers. And I asked that question and they started laughing. They said, oh, that would be great. I would so enjoy that because I wouldn't have my crazy kids all around me. And that's our teachers. I love it. They're just keeping it real in that moment. And I said, okay, so you would enjoy it for a couple of hours. They're like, yes, it would be awesome, Pastor. I was like, but after a couple of hours, then how much enjoyment would you have? And they're like, yeah, it would get kind of boring. You see, by definition, we can't have enjoyment with just ourselves. It's a byproduct of focusing on something outside beyond ourselves. That's the reason why we go on holidays, to go see beautiful different places, to enjoy what we're seeing and doing, why we eat good food. We want to enjoy that good food. That's why we watch sport. We want to enjoy seeing our team win. That's why you read books, to get lost in this great story. It's why you pursue meaningful relationships, why you want to get married and have kids, and why you want to have really great friends around you. Because we want to enjoy them. We were made for enjoyment, but we can't enjoy anything just within our selfish selves. We need to enjoy something that's beyond us. And so God's given us many gifts to enjoy, beginning with himself. 
The problem is that we make them into idols. We make these gifts idols, and we corrupt them, and we destroy them, and nothing under the sun will satisfy. And so what happens is God is saying, look, I have spoken. I have made it known to you that I love you, and you can enjoy me and have true enjoyment. And so a speaking God changes everything. And Jesus is the promised true prophet. Number two, as the true prophet, Jesus reveals us. So he reveals God and he reveals us. He reveals who God is and reveals who we are. Number two. So left to ourselves, we're all blind spiritually, deaf, and ultimately dead spiritually. Left to ourselves, we won't know who we are. We won't know our sinful condition We won't know that we have offended a holy God. We won't know who we truly are. We won't know that we're image bearers with an eternal purpose. Left to ourselves, we have no way of of knowing any of these things except that God spoke. And so let's just be clear. Revelation, so God speaking, God revealing. Revelation is not human activity. Revelation is not human discovery. Revelation is not insight. Revelation is not you finding God. That's not what it is. Revelation is God finding you. That's revelation. Revelation is God sharing of himself, sharing of his secrets, sharing our design With us, revealing to us. Revelation is the work of God. We have a God who speaks, who's revealed who we are. And God tells you that you are beautiful. And God tells you that your life has eternal value. And God tells you he made you in his image. And that you have an eternal purpose. And that you're precious that you matter to him. You are so loved. This is what he says to you. He is revealing who we are. But he's also revealing that who we are is broken and that we are sinful and that we are desperate for him, which is why we just read in Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus made purification for sins. Jesus had to purify us to clean us from our sin. Now, the role of Jesus doing that is Jesus as our priest. That's for next week. So we'll look at Jesus as our priest. Who is Jesus? He is our priest. And we'll see how that matters a week from today. But for today, for right now, as we begin to wrap up and work towards the end of Jesus being the true prophet, Understand that God is completely holy, and God must judge our sin, which is why Jesus was the sacrifice, the priest, but also the sacrifice who endured our guilt. And we can be saved only because Jesus paid it all, if we will trust completely in him. And so by revealing and speaking so that we know that we are sinners, and giving us the solution and revealing that he made a way, He is doing that which we could never do for ourselves. He is saving us 
from our sin. Think back. We, we talked earlier on Luke 24, these two men that were blind, who were right there with Jesus, and he's opening up the word and showing the entire Old Testament. Everything points to fulfilled in him, but they couldn't see it. They were blind. But as Jesus continued to share his word with them, and then he broke bread, like we're going to do in a few moments with communion, it says that their eyes were opened. This is Luke 24, verse 31. It's the same story. It says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Praise be to God. This is what God does. When we hear his word, his spirit then opens our eyes so that we can see ourselves and see our sin, but also see the glory of God. And so we hear his word, his spirit opens our eyes, and then we can see. And then what's the result? A burning inside of us. A fire is ignited, and we just have this passion to go live for him and to be bold and to make him known. So what's the implication of this, that God has revealed us to ourselves? Implication, we can respond to God. We can respond, we can know him, we can respond to him with faith and repentance every day. So how are you responding to your God? As we wrap up, number three, as a true prophet, Jesus reveals through the witness of his people. So he is revealing who God is, who we are, and then he continues revealing through you and me. We read earlier in the worship gathering from John 17, where in verse 8 it says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, for they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus says, I have given them your words. I have revealed your words as a true prophet. And then verse 18, same chapter of John 17, it says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so Jesus gives us his word. He transforms us. And then he says, here, now carry my word into the world so that others, too, can hear my word and experience the joy of my salvation. And so who is Jesus? He is the prophet of God who is still speaking today. And perhaps he is speaking to you, even right now. He speaks when his word is proclaimed, when his people as witness share his word with the dark and lost world. And he's sending us out as his mouthpiece to speak for him through his word, as spirit empowers us. And so what is the implication? What is the implication that he is revealing through us? We can be confident and compassionate. We can be both. Some people are so confident and bold to share the gospel, but they have no compassion. And others, when they're so compassionate, they never get to the good news of Jesus. It's both in unison. We can be confident 
and compassionate. We can be confident. We can not be ashamed of the gospel. There's a power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so we should be bold. And so ask God to make you more bold and confident to be his witness where you work and where you live. We have a city to reach. And so we need to be confident and yet also compassionate. Love people where they are. And not beat them over the head, but be kind be compassionate. So that is our calling, is to be ambassadors for Jesus who are both confident and compassionate. We praise our God who has spoken. May we see him. We treasure him. And then reflect him. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are filled with joy and awe that you would love us and that you would save us. We thank you that you have spoken and so we can know you and make you known. Help us to be truly on mission and to realize our role as those who can speak your truth to those that are far from you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.